everyone, and uh, welcome to United We Stand. I'm your host, Jim Feeney, and this show airs every week, uh, usually on Wednesday, Wednesdays, for half an hour of hopefully insightful commentary about the world around us and how we build a stronger, more sustainable America. You can find these podcasts at www.jimfeeney.com and subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts right on your phone, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, and many others. Uh, I am very pleased today to have uh, in our studio a guest, Tim Zork. His family has been here in Vero Beach for over 100 years, and uh, he started as in the real estate business, and he's a consultant, developer, a philanthropist, and also a county commissioner here in uh, Indian River County. From his family's initial purchase in 2004 uh, or in 1914 of land here in Vero, that's a that's a long way away. That's that's before World War One, folks. Uh, the property grew to nearly 10,000 acres. Uh, it was the Lazy K Ranch and uh, the Kerr, the Kerr Gift Fruit Company. As a real estate developer, Tim and his family have built hundreds of homes and buildings here in Indian River County. He and his wife Laura are active philanthropists and foster parents. Tim currently serves as a District 3 County Commissioner for Indian River County, and uh, they're responsible for 56 departments and divisions, about 1,300 employees, and a budget of $300 million bucks. It's a lot of money. So, um, uh, Tim, great to have you in the studio today. And, uh, hey, Jim. Uh, and, and we're actually in. beyond the six-foot rule, so I'm going to... Good. Take the mask off. Yeah. Since we're we're meeting our social distancing requirements, I think we are. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing how the world is uh, just changing under our. I feet have a now. ruler in my pocket. You do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, are we six feet? Yeah. No. We're. Um, this is a. It's, it's a crazy time, and uh, every place in America pretty much has to make some adjustments for right. this. What a. What are some of the ones that you see here in Indian River County that, you know, are kind of changing the way we think about how we do business? And do business uh, relating to COVID or in to general? COVID, to COVID there's, first. There's, um, so one thing that the, the county wanted to do is to try to keep as many, if not all, services open to the public. Now, right. some of those weren't possible. We had to libraries. We had to fully close. But now they are partially open. You can do ordering, curbside pickup. Some of those things, things for paying your utility bills, the Carol Jean Jordan and the tax collector's office kept essentially fully open where Brevard and other counties fully shut down license tag renewals, really concealed carry Great. renewals, all those things. So she found a way to make it work and her staff pulled together and they, 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 I don't think they missed a beat at all. Services such as building and planning department where the one thing that was um, not part of the uh, Safer at Home program was allow the construction industry to continue. So that kept thousands of people employed. still employed. Yeah. But the element of that, you had to have inspections as you're working on a job to go forward. So yeah. we're able to keep that open. All the staff stayed in place working in their, their office spaces at the county. A few people went remote that were more uh, IT or um, computer related where they could do their work basically from anywhere. So we tried to look at what what we could keep open to keep the economy moving forward. So, And that's worked pretty good, and we've learned that we can do some things remotely that before we thought we all had to be around a table. You know, we've all learned to Zoom a lot better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's really it's and that's so true. I mean, I, I've been here for about five years in Vero, and uh, we, my wife and I, are both from Massachusetts mm-hmm. in the sort of Boston area, and uh, we were up there earlier in the summer for about a month, and it was a stark difference between 
our life in Vero in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. where our friends and family, a lot of our friends and family are. Uh, it was just so locked down. Right. Um, all the things you were talking about, like the public uh, infrastructure, public services, they were just, you couldn't get in touch with anybody. And mm-hmm. the, the, the restaurants weren't open, albeit earlier in their pandemic. But even during the, I mean, Vero just has seemed to maintain as much business as usual as possible. And I think that as much as anything that plays positively on the psyche of the local residents. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, yes, we understand there's a, it's a bad time here, but we're, we're not going to just crawl into a hole and, uh, you know, wait for some person in Washington to give us the all clear. We're going to get, roll our, our shirt sleeves up and get busy and figure out how we adapt to this. And then, and also carrying forward your personal responsibility of what, Mm -hmm. what you need to do. I'm, I'm a mask, Carrier and when in the proper environment, yeah, uh, uh, where and a lot of I, retailers, yeah. when some of the stores reopen back up, like where, where my kids get their haircut, you have to have a mask for service. That's fine. That's their business. That's their private location. That's sure. their choice. Salons, yeah, that. those things. So, so we've been able to try to keep more open than I think other areas. We worked really hard uh, through the county administrator and the commission supporting, and also we never missed one meeting where we didn't all meet in place. You had the option to zoom in. Yep. And then it worked, but uh, as for me and the majority of the commissioners, we all met in person in the room, just further apart from each other. Mm-hmm. So, um, as, as part, part of your role on the planning and uh, as a county commissioner, I know that you guys have, as a group, have put together a twelve-point economic development plan to help create new jobs right. in the county. Can you tell us a little more about that? That was um, when I first ran for office. That plan included some some fundamentals that we would look at, and that was my twelve items that that uh, then the other commissioners said, "Let's task these to the proper departments to look at what we can do." One uh, transportation for folks that are not as advantaged. So our go line bus system, we looked at how can we expand that. So if somebody is offered a job, and at the time our bus service, let's say, ran from eight p.m. to five p.m., but you have to start work at seven thirty, and you don't have a car, how do you get there? So we looked at where we were able to fund starting bus service earlier and run longer. So if you were a 7 to 3.30 or 7 to 4.30 or 8 right. to 5 or whatever your shift cycle was, we now could cover both ends where before we would maybe only get you to work, couldn't get you home, or we couldn't get you home, but we could get you there one end or the other. Now we're able to do both sides. And that's such an important feature for both our, our elder folks and uh, lower income folks that might right. not have two cars and kids have to get from point A to point B, right. but they're working. So, uh, so that was an important element of that 12. Also, we looked at some of our, our corridor areas out in our comprehensive plan. You can't add something new until you've used up a, a portion of something that you have in terms of zoning allocation. Yeah. So we had some areas that were essentially 100% built out, and we needed to look in that corridor to look at, okay, should we now add a zoning opportunity that would allow for something other than cows or agriculture mm-hmm. use there? Is it appropriate? Do we ha- Is it inside the urban service area? And that may be a new term for you coming from, mm-hmm. from the Northeast. But everything has to be done inside the urban service area because right. that's only where you can get water and sewer services with the county. So we looked inside that, and um, that was one. Uh, also having a foreign trade zone designation. Um, we have mm-hmm. a number of companies. People think, oh, that would benefit, say, Piper Aircraft because they do ship planes around the world. Yep. But a foreign trade zone helps everybody. And we are very close to moving that forward. That involved our local government, St. Lucie County, to expand their foreign trade zone to become the Treasure Coast foreign trade zone, which now will include St. Lucie as the sponsor, Martin and Indian River County. 
And any company that ships or receives goods internationally or outside the U.S. border Mm -hmm. will soon be able to utilize that where it reduces your shipping costs, streamlines it, gets it through through customs quicker and creates infrastructure for. So this is such a I mean, as you may know, I I wrote a book uh, this past fall, uh, Locally Grown Government. You know, I really talk about rebuilding America the way it was designed to be Mm -hmm. built, the way our, our founders designed it as a brilliant, distributed, scalable system of bottom-up government. Right. The idea of, you know, what is local, I talk about in the book, because local means different things depending right. on where you live. Where I right. grew up in Massachusetts, counties have no power. Right. They, they're basically the registrar of deeds, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> right. The towns are in the schools. Right. Yeah, yeah. They don't have, there's no cops or any of that stuff. <clears throat> so, But yet you come here to the south, and counties, that's where the money is. That's where the right. power is. So as localities, as 20,000 zip codes that we have in this country, working together in this neural network of like common interests mm-hmm. and trade zones is just one of those. It's like, right. all right, we, we don't need a state or, or Washington to tell us we want to do business with Ghana and Africa. Right. We're going to go make a deal and, and whatever. There's something that we have that, that they want and so on. We can be an entry point. Right. And then also utilizing. Um, so with that, people don't realize there is a long list of companies that ship and manufacture things globally from Moving water industries here they, in Vero, here you know, based here that employ significant number of folks. Moving water industries, they I say they move water around the world. Some of their notable things that they've moved water on when when New Orleans flooded after the hurricane, they drained the city. So they make very large infrastructure pumps to move water, and they ship them globally all around the world. Container loads, and they're made right here in Vero, right off Oslo Road at their facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aluma Towers, they make mobile communications towers. They're shipped globally all around the world as well. So there's a long list of uh, hundreds and thousands of containers that go related to agriculture and citrus industry, which we still have from our gift fruit that goes to Japan and Korea and other markets. And uh, we've got to take a break real quick, but we're going to be back here with uh, Tim Zork shortly. Everybody, uh, welcome back to United We Stand. I'm your host Jim Feeney, and today in studio we have Tim Zork, who is the one of our county commissioners here in Indian River County. And uh, you can't get more local than this, folks. We are talking with local government in action with Tim. Tim, uh, before the break, we were sort of talking about some of the initiatives that mm-hmm. the county commission has to sort of you know make this a friendlier place to do business right. and increase increase our business base. One of the things I'd like to talk about is an initiative you've, you've got at the county commission where you are trying to identify 15 to 20 percent of the surplus land that the county owes and dedicate it to affordable housing projects. H- right. How's that going? Well, that kind of was birthed around first identifying the problem. So with our affordable housing committee, we really looked at what is the number of missing units that we need. And the private sector can provide some of those, but what, the public sector. What was the number you came up with? And I with? believe it was measured different ways and in different tiers, but let's say we need 7,500 units. Now, that's a lot of units. That's that's many years of yep. current construction levels. So, obviously, that's not going to work. So, Habitat for Humanity plays a great role. Mm-hmm. They can churn out a certain, a good number of, of homes for, for their program participants, and they do a great job. So what I looked at, one of the biggest elements, if you're going to do a project so from just, scratch. So, and just I want to add to that, because so we have, like, you've got all the tools to play with mm-hmm. uh, here. 
Indian River County receives uh, nearly $4 million a year in federal housing support mm-hmm. through HUD. That correct? It's been right. diminished yeah. over the years. Right. Uh, it used to be d- more than double that. But we get a, a substantial chunk uh, of money from the feds that really is going to housing support in many cases just to pay, I don't want to call them slumlords, but you right. know, landlords that just are servicing that community. Right. There's and, not a plan to ever elevate them. Right. Those, There's no those, the, the, the federal housing. Yeah, federal housing is going to to business guys that make a profit on that. Right. And yet, so the the recipients are kind of locked right. into a, a prison of dependency without the ability to get out. And Habitat right. is a great yeah, model. They do a fantastic job. Has proven success over many decades of raising people up out of, so they don't even need to be dependent, right? right? Through, through home ownership. Is that something that right. the and very, county very much consider? So, so the, um, one of the biggest elements of construction is the land cost. Yeah. Then it was impact fees, which up until we made a recent change, uh, let's say if it cost $120,000 to build a habitat home, the home, not the lot, and some of the other yep. improvements, but $10,000 of that could have been for impact fees. We've now, with changes in state legislation, we're able to zero that out. So that'll reduce their costs. So that means one in 10 houses, they can do a bonus when they, they'll have extra. So, so I understand, right, the impact fees are paid by anyone that owns the, the, a developer. The, if you're going to put a business, you're going to put expensive homes or, right. or modif- you know, uh, you have to pay the impact fees. Correct. And is, is that in relation to, are those, is that money charged or those fees on a pro rata basis based on the size of the project? It, it could, it's. Um, or are they just flat rate? Some of them are flat rate on housing. They would be flat rate from uh, one size to another size, let's say 1000 to 1700 and then 2000 to 3000 So the bigger you go, the more you would pay, but it, most people would fall in a particular bracket. Right. And so I, I guess I would be okay. I'm okay with the real estate, you know, as long as it's not draconian. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you, when you have a business, you have an impact here. We have right. waterways in, in Florida that are polluted because— Unfortunately, agriculture over the years, over the decades, is just the natural leaching of the of, of that land mm-hmm. into our waterways is terrible. So business impact fees, as long as it's going for those reasons to mitigate environmental damage, I'm for. But could we waive those for affordable housing? So on affordable housing, they are not going to be charged anymore if you meet the criteria, Great. either by size. And then there's also a back-end um, model that Habitat uses that you want to keep that unit in affordability so you— so you wouldn't have somebody qualifying for the program today and then flipping the house the day after closing and right. pick up all those yeah. that value of concessions that were given because of a. So is that in place now? That that, that is that, yes, that's now um, as of June thirtieth. Those new rules are in effect. So that just came out. Yes. Yay! Yeah. That's good government right, right. there. That's incenting incentivizing the right behavior, which is let's build affordable housing for our right and that, folks that that was it. the good part of what we passed. The bad part of what we passed took any other development and raised some of the fees over 200%. Not, and it's not to pay for these other units. Those yeah. are called de minimis units. There's not, there's not thousands of them a year. They're, you know, habitat. I'm not, I'm not sure their exact numbers, but let's say if they did 25 houses in a year, that would be a lot. Yeah. So not collecting the fee on those 25 houses doesn't disrupt your financial model of, of your impact fee formulas. Mm-hmm. But to put it in perspective, one particular project that was proposed, a shopping center, yep. their fees went up $587,000 on top of what they were already paying, a million five. So they went from a million five to over $2 million. 
and you can argue both sides of it. But at some point, so that project, when you put in that extra expense, you know, everybody has a performa. Sure. And you start out with land, building, da da yeah. da, and you get to a point where it goes, the performer does not work anymore. You should not do this project. So that what it's turned that one into. Yeah, I, I would so argue. It, I would argue that uh, I don't think we need any more shopping centers because uh, land-based brick-and-mortar retail oh, ha- has been under assault. I mean, there Nordstrom's is bankrupt. Neiman Marcus is bankrupt. Macy's on its way. It's just ripping through. I mean, Amazon's going to yeah. eat the world, unfortunately. So. But I get your point. Yeah, you don't right. want to you you want to rationalize the fee structure right. so you don't disincentivize right. you all don't the discourage. other. Yeah, you want this to be a, a business friendly town right. because we'll employ people, and that's the ultimate goal. Right. You know, hundred percent employment of our right. residents. So back to the to the land. So yeah. I looked at the county owned a number of pieces of land that we have no forecast use in say the next twenty twenty five years. Mm-hmm. So my plan was. Let's take a look at that inventory, and let's take a small portion of that. And it wouldn't just be us. It would be City of Vero, City of Sebastian, the school district. They all have property from all the jurisdictions in the county. Um, Is take a portion of that that's appropriate and dedicated towards where a a housing project could be built. And you don't want to use the word project and affordable. You either workforce housing, first responder housing, school teacher housing, because there is a negative— Impression when you use some of the other words like affordable housing, they think it's subsidized housing. So w- I'm so, more into the home ownership side. So making think, making a home part of the compensation for cops and, and firemen? No, make it affordable enough so they can purchase one. Okay. Right. And one of those elements, the land cost is a big percentage of that mm-hmm. of that total overall cost. So by taking that out and then taking the impact fees out, you may have reduced if both of those were successful, you may have reduced the cost of that habitat project or mm-hmm. that habitat home, you know, by greater than 20%. The impact fees was roughly 10%, and the land was another would be another 10%. It would have made a big difference, and I'm going to continue that discussion to look at how we can put to work some of this surplus land that we have. When you look down the road, and if you look past 25 years and we don't have a current pending use and you take only a small portion of that vacant land and put it to work um, yep. to help provide those units, I think that's just a positive. That's a, that's great. I mean, this is, um, you know, one of my goals with my book is not to just write a book, my opinion of how we reform America from the bottom up mm-hmm. again, but is to is to have some actionable things mm-hmm. that can be done today. At a smaller level, because everything big starts small. That's the way it should be anywhere. Right. If you want it, st- and uh, this, uh, you know, affordable housing is definitely one, as a means to raise people up mm-hmm. from from poverty and and just make them more of a part of our community. That's an an area that has tremendous opportunity, and I'd love to talk with you more about how we can do that better. How we can actually make that real. Right. In my book, I also talk about this thing called excess capacity and uh, how excess capacity has become, and especially in a consumer society, there's so much that's just extra. Right. It goes to Goodwill or it goes to you know Salvation Army. It's just we have so many choices in stores of things to buy. There's food that just gets thrown out that doesn't get eaten. So excess capacity is uh, you know is something that if you can harvest it, you can find a way to use something that someone's mm-hmm. not using. That's a good thing, and you can. By the way, I make a very profitable business out of it, like mm-hmm. an Uber or an Airbnb, right. which are have multi-billion-dollar businesses harvesting excess capacity. So I sort of make the case that the biggest excess capacity we have in this country is our elder population. Mm-hmm. 
And we have a massive gap, both financial and, and maybe psychological gap, opinion gap between old and young. And it's as wide as it's been probably since the 60s at this point. But that should be one of the easiest things for us to solve because there's a natural human need for the old and the young to be together. Mm-hmm. That's part of our life cycle. The intergenerational households that you know were around when I grew up and my grandparents had one of those mm-hmm. for like everybody. Sons go off to war. The wives are raising their kids there in the house. That's right. just the way it went. And it worked. Having using that using a modern version of that maybe where it's like for example in places like um, Singapore they have this movement called Kampong for the ages where they're they're planning and zoning laws encourage schools to be or uh, old age homes to be next to schools nursing homes mm-hmm. uh, retirement communities senior centers putting it next to the playgrounds and schools so you create an opportunity for the old and the young to to interact mm-hmm. because old people. They, they have so much knowledge. They right. want to be. They want to be wanted. They're going to do it for free. We have great philanthropy in mm-hmm. this. Uh, in it's that the, our, this our, lo- our zoning rules do the opposite. Do the op- they put them further apart? It just blows my mind. Right. And, and this, this is not uh, something that's unique to Vero Beach. This is everywhere. Right. You know, my parents' generation. My dad's uh, eighty-seven now, and that's why we moved here is to sort of help them out mm-hmm. when uh, we were living in Wyoming. But there's just so much of that here in you know in florida in general and to me that is a reservoir of immense opportunity business opportunity mm-hmm. as well right just immense opportunity that can just transform uh, a city a county a state so now you've got a cohesive society people are living they have a place to live mm-hmm. old and the young are marbling the rich and the poor are marbling together that's the way you know we've sorted ourselves into these right. geographic locations as a and there's been a few books written about this and that contributes to the divisiveness of our politics so if, when you start peeling back the onion layer looking at root cause it starts with how we live mm-hmm. we're living apart in the communities is it is this something that would would fall on deaf ears at, at the county yeah, no or? i think it's um, there's been a, um, and I'm trying to remember the the name of the group, and I'm going to be excess you know, capacity. Kind of start, yeah. Starting with excess capacity, when you start with a blank slate, it's easy to achieve. You have to look at how can we mold that into where you can have things adjoining each other that you that you typically wouldn't have, right? Um, and that that's where you get into the urban service line, the challenge of how you define. Are you making some? Are you talking about some of that stuff within the context of that discussion? There's there's been more of recent on that we actually have done a facility. It's called the intergenerational facility, mm-hmm. where it's made to kind of serve the needs of, of every, yeah. everybody together. Right. And then the next step you could look at is how do you look at living and having a zoning that would allow a school adjoining and assisted living. Mm-hmm. Um, you, when you start with a larger blank slate, you can you can pencil all this out on paper. But it's a it's a great concept to look at how we can all look to live and enjoy each other's company. That's awesome. I'd love to, I will, we're going to make a point to continue this conversation uh, with Tim Zork. And thank you very much, Tim, for being sure. here. Um, that's our show t- for today, folks. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation, you can subscribe to my website at jimfini.com and receive my regular blog uh, and, and uh, podcast. So in the meantime, remember, united we stand, divided we fall, each one for the other and all for all. Thank you.